How's it going? Good? Um, how many of you have ever been in um, a situation where somebody was getting kind of, um, they were just getting it handed to them, right? Like they were getting called out and you were just sitting there watching it and, and maybe even enjoying it, right? But then all of a sudden the tables turned and it gets focused on you. Have you ever had that happen? I've had this happen a lot as a, as a, as a young young man, as a kid growing up. I remember times, you know, back in the day, uh, we would come home from school, and we were home alone until my parents got home from work. Anybody else grow up in a house like that? Now you have to be with your kids all the time, but we were just left to, it was like Lord of the Flies at our house. It was crazy. And I remember one time, you know, my brother, my younger brother and sister, they were fighting about something and arguing, and my brother threw something, and it broke something else, right? And we knew Everybody just gets quiet. When something breaks in the house, all of a sudden everybody gets quiet because we know when my parents get home, there's going to be problems, right? And I'm just like, dude, you guys are in trouble when mom and dad get home, right? And so my mom and dad come home from work. I'm there. I'm like, hey, you guys might want to go in the living room and see what broke, yeah? You're not going to be happy. And so my parents go in there and they call my brother and sister and they're like, hey, what were you guys doing? Why are you guys arguing? This is ridiculous. You guys know better. And I'm just sitting there like just shaking my head. I know, man. I know. What are you guys doing? But then my dad would turn and he could see me. I, I bet he saw me smiling. And he was like, and you, you're the oldest. You're responsible. How was this happening while you were watching him? And I'm like, whoa, this, this escalated differently than I thought. Right? This is not how I thought this was going. And all of a sudden, the, the pressures got turned on to me. And they're calling me out. I was sitting comfortably, feeling self-righteous, and then all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm on the hot seat. And um, as we're going through Romans, that's where we find ourselves um, in the scripture today. Paul is, is making this case, right? And um, he's making this case that, that everybody needs Jesus, his case is that everybody needs Jesus. There's no one that doesn't need Jesus. Um, we're just going to go backtrack just a bit so we are all on the same page. A little bit of contact, context. Um, Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, who was um, a Jew of Jew, uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, um, a very, very stout religious man who all of a sudden gets literally knocked off his high horse and becomes an apostle to Jesus. And he starts planting all these churches. Um, he's writing this letter, obviously, by the name Romans to the church in Rome. Now, here's what's important to know about the church in Rome is, um, is that it had been around for a long time, right? It had been around for a while. When I say long, I'm not talking about hundreds of years. I'm talking about five, six years, seven years. And um, Paul is writing to them. And what's interesting is this, is that the church in Rome... During Claudius, Emperor, Emperor Claudius' time, he kicks out all the Jews. No Jews are allowed to live in Rome, right? And so he kicks out all the Jewish people, and um, the church in Rome all of a sudden is just Gentiles, which just means people who didn't grow up following Yahweh, who aren't part of Israel. So he kicks out all the Jews. And then what happens is this. Five years later, they're all invited back. So now you have all these uh, Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus, coming back to Rome, and they're finding this church that is a lot different than what they expected. These guys aren't following the Jewish traditions, right? They're coming back and they're saying, hey, you guys are following Jesus, but to follow Jesus, you also have to, you have to become a Jew. 
And you're not practicing the, the, all the traditions that we have. You're not following the Sabbath. You know, you're not following the law. You're not following these dietary laws. And there's this divide in the church of Rome. You have Gentiles, people who are new to following Jesus. And you have um, these Jews who, who are, their, their Jewishness is, is seeing its fruition. Right? Judaism, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to continue what God had already been doing from the beginning. Right? And so you have a church that's divided into two sections. And they're they're bickering about this. Right? They're wanting the old way to still stand. And his letter is, has a purpose to unite this church. Um, So far, what we've seen in chapter 1 so far is Paul is addressing the unrighteous. So chapter 1, he's saying, man, the, the, the Gentiles, the people without God, the unrighteous, the unrighteous are terrible. They need God so bad. In fact, there is, they're so bad, but, but God can still save them. But the unrighteous, he's going down this list and he's saying, the people who don't have God, they've exchanged it. They should know better. Even if they didn't have someone teaching them, just look outside. They should know that there's a God. Right? And these people left to their devices have become wicked. They become gods in their own mind. And when he's saying this, you could see the divided church. You could see the, the Jewish people, the religious uh, professionals, shaking their head. Yes. Yes, Paul. Yes. Get those guys. Unrighteousness is terrible. And Paul's saying, yes. Yeah, it is. It is terrible. But then Paul changes, changes direction. And he's almost like, it's almost like he flips a switch. Because let me tell you something, unrighteousness is definitely bad. Being unrighteous, being without God is bad. But Paul's going to tell us today that self-righteousness is worse. Self-righteousness is worse than unrighteousness. It's so deceptive. It convinces you that you have some type of righteousness apart from Jesus Christ, and that's untrue. You're tricking yourself and trying to trick others that you have some kind of righteousness, that you're bringing something to the table, and you don't. The ungodly, man, it's bad to be ungodly, but it's worse to act like you have God and be ungodly. Do you agree? Do you follow what I'm saying? And Paul's going to tackle this. He's going to attack the self-righteous. Now, I want to be clear. When I'm going through this, it's going to seem maybe heavy-handed towards people who go to church and stuff. But I'm just letting you know, this is the part of the letter to Romans that we're in. Right? There's no getting around it. We had a week, uh, you know, we had two weeks almost talking about unreligious people, unrighteous people. And now Paul is shifting it to the righteous. And so we're going to read these verses, and um, just bear with me as we go through it. Um, this book, the book of Romans, is, is one of the densest theological books in the Bible. And I've only been described as dense. So I'm going to do my best to, to, to wade through this. But um, before we do that, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, um, for loving us the way that you do. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I'm thankful, Lord, that you don't see favorites, but you love us all equally. You died for everyone in the world, everyone in this room, God. 
And I just pray right now, Lord, as we go through your word, that you would just open our ears and our hearts to what it is you want us to hear. God, I just pray that you would just take anything from me that, whether it's anxiousness or pride or ego, anything that's keeping me from delivering the, the words that, that you want me to say, God, I just pray that you take it from me now. And that if I screw up and I say something wrong or incorrect, that everybody in this room would just credit me with that, Lord, and not you. But, Lord, if, if they hear anything today that resonates, Lord, that they would just know that's your small voice talking to them. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick it up in Romans, if you have your Bible. Romans um, 2, 17 through 20. Now, like I said, Paul has just been talking about the unrighteous. But just in, the, in, in, in part of the early uh, chapter 2, he, where the, the Jews would have been saying, yes, yes, the unrighteous are terrible. They're, they're just undisciplined. They're unreligious. They don't got it. Then all of a sudden, Paul says something back a couple verses. He says, God plays no favorites. And this would have, all of a sudden, the Jews in the room would say, what, what, what are you talking about? God doesn't play. We're obviously his favorite. We're a chosen people. So all of a sudden, he's got their attention. Right? And now he's going to set up this argument that's kind of laying into him. It says this, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law, boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of the children because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. They would have been saying, yes, that's us. We have the law. Yes, yes, you're right, Paul. Yes, we have the law. We're called to be a light to the darkness. You've trusted us with this. We're supposed to be teaching. And that was the plan. God's plan was to teach the world about him through this nation. But they weren't doing it. But they were shaking their heads. Yes, yes, that's me. I'm going to read it. Today I'm going to go back and forth through the, the scripture and then the message translation, which is more of a paraphrase. I just like it the way it, it, it puts it. It says this. If you're brought up Jewish, don't assume that you could uh, lean back in the arms of your religion and take it easy. Feeling smug because you're an insider to God's revelation. A connoisseur of the best things of God, informed in the latest doctrines. I have a special word of caution for you who are sure that you have it all together yourselves. And because you're God's, um, because you have it all together yourselves, because you know God's revealed word inside and out, you feel qualified to guide others through their blind alleys and dark nights and confused emotions. But Paul's saying, man, he's calling them out. They were puffed up in pride. He's like, if you call yourself a Jew and you're into this, then man, and you know God's word, and you know what you're supposed to be doing, if you've had God's law, and God's revelation, you know this. If you're saying that you know all this stuff, then th I'm talking to you. And here's the problem, is they knew a lot. They loved the word. The Torah was the thing. They had been given the word. But there was a disconnect. There was a disconnect between their heads and their hearts. They knew it all, but man, there was no love there. They knew it all, and they were puffed up in pride. The Bible says that uh, knowledge puffs up, 
And when I think about pu- being puffed up, you know, he's talking about a chest being puffed up, like your ego. And man, it's easy to get this way. When you know a little bit about something, don't we love to just get on a soapbox and talk about it? Yeah, and this is what they did. They had the knowledge, and they were prideful about it. But it had nothing to do. They just knew all the rules, but it didn't reach their heart, right? And he's calling them out on that. He said, yeah, it's good that you know all this stuff, but it's not good if you're not applying it. Then he goes on to say this, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor uh, idols, do you not rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he's quoting um, Isaiah there. This is what it says in the message. While you're guiding others, who's going to guide you? He said, listen, I'm serious. While preaching don't steal, are you going to rob people blind? Who would suspect you? The same with adultery. The same with idolatry. You can get by with almost anything. If you front it with eloquent talk about God and his law. The line from scripture, it's because of you, Jews, uh, that outsiders frown on God. It shows us an old problem that isn't going away. Man, that's heavy. That's heavy. He says, man, you guys think because you can talk, a really good talk, that you can get away with doing anything. As long as you know the right words. He's calling them out on what we know is a... Hypocrisy. They had a habit of hypocrisy. Yeah? Hypocrisy is what? It's talking about one thing and doing something else. It's acting like, oh, you really shouldn't be doing this. You really shouldn't be watching these kind of movies. Or you shouldn't talk like that and have language like that. But secretly doing it yourself. Secretly doing it yourself. Their talk did not match their walk. Here is God's chosen people. The ones who he's given the law to. The one who he's bent over backwards for. And they were missing the boat. And part about it is this, is that they gave God a bad name. I just wanted to, I, I just thought of Bon Jovi just now. Um, sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, they practiced the law, and t- they're to blame. They gave God a bad name. Um, they gave God a bad name, and this is a big deal. This is a big deal to them because blasphemy, blaspheming God's name is a big deal to followers of Yahweh. And they're saying, hey, it is a big deal, and it's because of you that his name is blasphemed. Because people see what you talk about, but they also see the way you live, and it doesn't match up. And instead of seeing the God of justice and mercy and compassion, they see you. And it's because of you that that people don't know God. That's huge. That's huge. He's telling the religious leaders of his day, hey, man, you're trying to get people to, to know God. It's because of you that they don't want any part of God. Because you're all talk, but they know the way you live. Right? And these guys, all of a sudden, they're getting floored. Romans 25 through 27 says like this. 
Circumcision, he's going into the religious, um, the religious value system, right? He says this, circumcision, if you observe the law, uh, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If then those who are not circumcised keep the law requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, even though you have written the code, you have the written code and circumcision, you are a lawbreaker. The message says it like this. Circumcision, the surgical ritual that makes you a Jew, is great if you live in accord with God's law. But if you don't, it's worse than not being circumcised. The reverse is also true. The uncircumcised who keeps God's ways are as good as the circumcised. In fact, better. Better to keep God's law uncircumcised than to break it circumcised. That is a lot of circumcision talk. And I have a hunch that when Mike was going down the preaching calendar and he came to the section, he gave it to me on purpose. Um, what is the deal with circumcision? Right? I, I can't just gloss over this. And, and so I, I prepared some slides for you. Um, <laughs> warning, the following images may be disturbing to some viewers. Um, I'm just joking. I'm not going to do that. Some of you are sweating buckets out here. I was like... Is he, is he really going to do this? Is he going to do this? Um, what circumcision, oh, this is actually what circumcision uh, is, not what it meant. The surgical removal of the foreskin of the penis. Now, I got to be honest with you. When I was making this slide, I was nervous about putting that word up there in church. I was like, do I really want to say it? Should I use a different word? And then I was thinking, man, if I was preaching in the Sistine Chapel... Right? I'm a, here, I'm afraid to even use the word, right? But if I was in the Sistine Chapel, I could just point. And you know what I mean? Like, hey, this is what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about. Look around. Right? But circumcision was that, but this is what it meant. I got these two backwards. This is what it meant. It was a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and all his descendants. It was a sign of the relationship that they had with God. It was the symbol of it, right? I just can't even imagine. Abraham, it, this goes all the way back to Genesis, and Abraham is, is pushing 100. He has no kids of his own, and God's telling him, hey, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and great nations, and you're going to have a lot of offspring. You're going to have a bunch of kids. And, and Abraham's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, and I'm going to, this covenant, this is how we're going to symbolize it. You're going to cut yourself. And I can only imagine what Abraham was like, I, I don't think I heard you right. He's like, no, this is going to be the sign of my people, right, about this relationship. And he's like, that's cool, but you gave uh, a Noah a rainbow. You think you could do something like that for me? Right? And it, was, it makes sense. Like I used to, I struggle with this. Like it seems like a little, it seems a little graphic. It seems a little different. But listen. The covenant was about making him a great nation. It was about his offspring. It was about lots of kids coming from him. He had zero kids. And he's saying, hey, you know what? You're going to be reminded that I came through on my promise. It's symbolic. It's symbolic about cutting away the flesh. You're not going to live by the flesh anymore. You're going to live by the spirit. These guys were relying on the religion, though. They were trying to tell the, the Gentiles, hey, man. If you're going to be a if you're going to be a Christian, 
then you got to be a Jew first. You got to get circumcised. And we have a class on Wednesday. You guys could sign up for it. They would have been like, oh, man, they were sweating buckets, right? But here's the problem. They had all the symbols of a relationship with God, but they didn't have the substance of it. They had the symbols. They had the markings, but they didn't have the substance of the covenant. Um, I have an iPad up here. Um, my kids really want, my daughter really wanted an iPad, right? And um, instead, I did what any good parent would do, um, and I bought her a, a Kindle Fire. Right? She really wanted an iPad. We have Kindle Fire kind of money for you, right? Now listen, if I were to take this Apple sticker, right? I don't even know. And I would stick it on the back here. And said, here, automatic upgrade, right? <laughs> this, isn't an, this isn't become an iPad. The substance is not an iPad. Right? And this is what he's talking about. You have all this outward stuff. You have all the symbols and stuff, but your substance, it's not there. Now, my daughter, can, my daughter would know right away. Obviously, this is not an Apple. This is still an, a Kindle. But you know what? We do this all the time. Like we, We're okay with having something inferior as long as everybody else is fooled. We don't even have to have the real thing as long as you think I have the real thing. I remember when um, early in our marriage, my, my lovely bride wanted a, a coach purse, and we only had roach money. We didn't have coach money. And we were in uh, New York, and we went to Canal Street, and you can get anything you want in Canal Street, right? When I say anything you want, I mean any kind of knockoff of anything. And we went to this place, and... It was, it was seriously like a movie. Like, they were like, oh, you want to buy a coach purse? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we want to buy a coach purse. And he goes, hold on. And this is not a lie. All of a sudden, they open up. It looks like a wall, but it's really a door. And we go into this back door, right? We go up these stairs through a Chinese restaurant, no joke. And we go up to this, 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 this whole room filled with coach. And she's like, okay, pick the purse, and then we'll put the little coach symbol on it. Right? And they're... I, they even had radios, yeah? They're like, okay, we're bringing them back down. Like, it was a, a covert operation. But let me tell you something. Like, my wife wasn't fooled. She knew it was not a coach purse. But everybody else didn't know, and she was happy about it, right? It didn't matter that it wasn't a coach purse, right? What mattered is people thought she had a coach purse, right? And that's what was going on. It didn't matter what my relationship was with God. As long as I looked like I had a relationship with him, that's what was mattering to these guys. Paul's calling them out. He's like, man, you have this symbol of this, but, man, you, you're, you're not following it. What's the point? Then he wraps it up, the end of chapter 2 right here. He says this, a person is not a Jew who is only outwardly, nor circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew. A person is a Jew is, uh, sorry, no, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. That's another story for another day. But it's by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. In the message it says this, don't you see? It's not the cut of a knife that makes you a Jew. You become a Jew by who you are. It's the mark of God on your heart, not a knife on your skin that makes you a Jew. And recognition comes from God, not legalist critics. 
They had a serious heart problem. Paul was saying, man, it's not about the outward. This is, this is actually kind of crazy because Paul's taking it a deeper step. You know, we hear this all the time. Um, you're, you got to walk the walk and talk. If you talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And Paul's saying, hey, you could talk the talk and you could even walk the walk. But if your heart's not right, it doesn't mean anything. He says it again in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, man, you could speak in the tongues of angels. You could perform all sorts of miracles. But you know what? If you don't have love, it's nothing. They had a serious, serious heart problem. I always do this just for Danny, so I I look smart. But here's my uh, totally Greeking out segment. Um, The word heart in the Bible comes from this fancy-looking word which is pronounced cardia. It's where we get the word cardio from. Yeah? So cardio, we know when we're talking about cardio, we're talking about the heart. Um, And this is what it means in the Greek, the center and seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind, as in the fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors. He's saying the heart, it's our passions, right? This is an interesting fact. Cardia is mentioned over 800 times in scripture, but it's never referring to the literal and physical pump that drives the blood. It's always used as our emotions, the the essence of who we are. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, you have to have a circumcision of the heart. Your heart isn't cut, your heart hasn't been, been circumcised. You haven't given up yourself. And you can't have a you can't have heart surgery. You can't do heart surgery on your own. You gotta, you gotta trust somebody else. You gotta trust God to do that. Now, here's the thing. This is where we're just gonna kind of close it, but it's gonna be a while. Um, so don't, don't get ready to get your kids yet. Here's the problem. We go through this scripture, and we listen to it, and we, I don't know about you. I don't want to speak for you, but I love it when somebody who's really, who thinks they have it all together, who's kind of snobby, when they get it, when they get it handed to them, right? When all of a sudden. The rug gets pulled out from them. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, Paul, get those guys. Get those religious guys. Get those guys. They're so snobby. They're so religious. I hate religious people, Paul. It's always about them. Their hearts were hard. Yeah, they were idolatrous, God. They were hypocrites. And um, the, the scripture's saying, how's your heart? How's your heart this morning? We love to look at other people's sin and say, man, you guys got a lot of work to do. One of the things I always say, you know what sin offends people the most? Other people's sins. We're always really offended how, in the way other people sin. We give ourselves a lot of grace. But Paul's saying this, he's not just writing it to them, he's writing us today. And here's the thing, I'm asking you, how's your heart this morning? And... The Bible says a lot about the heart. I'm just going to give you a few verses. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So even when I'm asking you how's your heart this morning, you might have an idea about how your heart is, but you don't even know. In fact, Paul says it like this, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. You might be sitting here and say, yeah, I'm all right. I think my heart's in good standing. 
That's what Paul would say, man, my conscience is clear, but let me tell you something. Just because my conscience is clear doesn't mean I'm clear. Just because I don't see the log in my own eye doesn't mean there's a log in my own eye. I love how David says this, look through me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any sinful way in me and lead me in a way that lasts forever. He also says this, the sacrifice that God desires is a broken spirit. God will not reject a broken and repentant heart. And that's what he's talking about when he's talking about a circumcised heart. is like a broken heart. You can't change. You can't cut enough out of your heart to make it right with God. It has to be broken. So I'm going to ask you to be brave enough and say, hey, God, can you search me today? I'm going to have a, a, a heart routine. I'm going to have routine heart checkups with you because I'm a terrible judge of how my heart is. Only you know my heart. God, am I struggling with pridefulness? This isn't something just for, for Jews. This is something we struggle with in the church all the time. We get puffed up with knowledge and we think we're so smart. We have all the answers. The truth is we only have one answer, it's Jesus. Pretending we know it all. Man, when any, whenever you're looking at somebody else and saying, man, they should know better, you're struggling with pride. Paul's saying, man, we're all in trouble without Jesus. What about this, hypocrisy? God, search me. Is there, some, is there some parts of my life where I'm talking really a good talk, but I ain't living it out? Dude, the world, when I talk about the people on the outside of the church, they have a big issue with this, with Christians being hypocrites. Right? And I want to tell you something. I don't think the issue with us being hypocrites isn't us telling people not to do sinful things and then us sinning. Right? That doesn't, that's not what makes us a hypocrite. What makes us a hypocrite is when we act like we don't sin. We talk about doing the right things, and we act like we do the right things, but we really don't. Or when we do, we don't talk about it. We don't say sorry. We don't fess up to it. That's what makes us hypocritical. Of course we still sin. But as a Christian, when we sin, we're supposed to confess it to one another. We're supposed to repent. Man, a lot of us get convicted of sin. Conviction is really great. It has a purpose. But repentance is way better. How many of us struggle with that? How about this religiosity? Knowing all the right things to say. Knowing all the right words. Wearing all the right symbols. We might have a he is greater than I sticker. We might wear our North Shore Christian Fellowship t-shirt. Every one of us, you know, we wear our little crosses. We have the symbols of the covenant, of the new covenant, but is there any substance there? Are we all about the symbols and have no substance? What would it look like if the church was um, humble? And instead of being prideful, we were known for, instead of the church being known for being prideful, the church was known for humility. What if that was the first thing, when people thought about North Shore Christian Fellowship, 
And they said, man, what, what do you know about the church? Man, I know there's a bunch of humble people there, man, to love Jesus. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. And sometimes we like to get on our higher hillers. We say we're proud because of God. But we have a lot of nasty, ugly pride. And God opposes the proud. I want to say that again just because a lot of us, we love that verse where it says, if God is for me, who could be against me? We use that all the time. If God's for me, who could be against me? But we never say this. Hey, if I'm being proud, then God is actively opposing me. God opposes the proud. And it says that he will humble the proud. And I don't know about you guys, I do not like to be humbled. So here's the, here's the key. If you don't want to be humbled, be humble. Be humble already. What about this? Instead of being hypocrites, what if we were a church that was known for our transparency? Not a place where we gathered on Sundays and talked about how great our week was, but even talked about the stuff where we struggled with. The things, man, I screwed up, man. I was, I was mean to my wife this week. I, I was short with my kids. I had bitterness in my heart towards people at work. Being transparent, man, I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven for this. What if we are known for, for love and compassion? The Jews were using circumcision as a symbol so people would recognize them as God's chosen people. But Jesus said this to his followers. He said this, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I want you to love one another like I love you. And this is how people are going to know you're my, you're my followers. This is how people are going to know. They're not going to know by the things you say, by the, all the knowledge you know, all the theology, how many theological books you've read, how many sermon podcasts you listen to. He said, no, they're going to know you're my followers by the way you love people. What would your life be like, man, if this is how people saw you, if this is how you were really, really were? Think about how good of a name God would have, not because of us, but because God is good and we're living it out. I'm going to ask the, the band to come up and play. But I don't want to leave here um, without doing this heart exam. Um, the Bible talks about uncircumcised hearts. It also talks about calloused hearts. And some of us have calloused hearts. Either we built it up because of our pride and ego, these calluses start building and building and getting tough. Or we have callous hearts because our heart's been broken a lot of times. It's been hurt. Um, when I first moved to Hawaii and I started um, walking everywhere barefoot, you know, my feet were really tender when I first moved here, right? And then after a couple months of living here and going everywhere, either barefoot or in slippers, all of a sudden my feet got super hard, right? It sounded like I was tap dancing in the kitchen, right? They're just hard as a rock. Now, here's the thing. That, that's what calluses do. They, they, they build up so you don't feel pain, right? So you don't feel pain, but here's the problem. You also don't feel any good things either, right? You can't feel the, uh, the tender touch. If someone's rubbing your feet, it's, just, it's numb to it. And I think, like, some of us are in this room, man, 
we have calluses on our heart because we've been hurt so much. And we're just trying to protect our hearts, you know, like, man, I don't want to get hurt anymore. And um, so we don't want to feel any more pain, so we have these calluses. But God's saying, yeah, but I want you to feel my presence in your heart. Allow me to take those calluses off. I don't want us to leave here and say, man, i got to really go home and work on my heart. I want us to stay right here, right now, and take some time to give your hearts to God. And say, God, what in my heart needs worked on? What in my heart is keeping me from you? I want us to leave here with broken hearts, contrite hearts that are sold out to Jesus. That we wouldn't think because we assemble here and because we know some of the scriptures and stuff that, that we are better than anybody, but that we would know that, man, we are so blessed to know God's word and there's a world out there that needs to hear it. There's a world out there that needs to see it. And the only way that happens is if we have a change of heart. Spend some time with God. Don't let your calloused heart Leave here unchanged. Spend some time with them.